We all want a business like Netflix or Amazon Prime. Businesses where once a customer engages with them, it becomes automatic and a part of their lifestyle from then on. But how do you build that forever transaction? I'm Robbie Kelman Baxter, and I have been studying subscription and membership models for nearly 20 years. In this podcast, my guests and I share the secrets and strategies of the membership economy. Join us for subscription stories, true tales from the trenches. Mayur Gupta is the Chief Marketing and Strategy Officer at Gannett USA Today Network, where he is responsible for leading the transformation of Gannett into a subscription platform that is obsessed with user value and not just site traffic. He is responsible for actualizing Gannett's mission to build trusted local communities where people thrive. This is not his first time driving growth among subscribers. Prior to Gannett, he was CMO of the subscription meal company Freshly, and before that, Mayor was Global VP for Growth and Marketing at Spotify. I'm thrilled to talk with Mayor, who was recently named to Forbes's list of the world's most influential CMOs of 2021. In this conversation, we talk about the kind of teams needed for sustainable long-term subscription success, the role of growth as an emerging discipline, and his formula for creating a flywheel for growth that can work at any kind of company. I hope you enjoy it. I'd like to open with your journey since it's a fascinating one and one that covers many of the big stories of the membership economy leading to Gannett after stops at digital natives like Spotify and Freshly. Can you walk me through your journey, focusing on what you learned about sustainable growth at each stop? Yes, well, Robbie, it's it's been a ride, all right, and um, you know, rather accidental because I started my career uh, as an engineer growing up in India. Did my major in computer science. That was the only way to get a job, so I didn't know any better. And then evolved from there into product development, then got into growth. And sometimes that context is helpful because. I may not make a lot of sense as a marketeer. So to know that I'm an engineer, really, by academic and DNA, it gives me a little bit of leverage. But to answer your question on what all I learned at those uh, incredible stops at companies like Spotify and Freshly, well, my biggest takeaway working at an incredible organization like Spotify that became an iconic brand at uh, Insane Growth was um, one that there is no other mode than your ability to run faster than the competition. Everything else is a commodity. And to become a scale growth organization when you're a day one company, you have to believe in that mindset. You have to believe in the need for inertia and speed, even at when you reach scale. And the flip side of that, though, is when you run at that speed, when you run at that pace, change becomes inevitable and constant change becomes inevitable, as well as healthy chaos. And you need a culture where people feel safe and they enjoy thriving in that healthy chaos, which is easier said than done. So there are two sides of that coin. When you're growing at that rapid pace, you're constantly disrupting your own self. You believe in the concept of testing and learning. You're almost in a state of constant paranoia. But that also means you need an environment where it is okay to miss your OKRs. You know, It is okay to fail every now and then. And, and you feel safe, but 
you have tremendous transparency. There is tremendous communication internally. Otherwise, it creates unhealthy chaos and a lot of negativity you know, within the environment, and that makes it harder. Was that true, that kind of healthy chaos? Is that a culture that you've seen at all of the organizations that we just mentioned, Spotify, Freshly, Gannett, or do you think it was a little different at Freshly and you know now at Gannett, a much more longstanding organization with, with a lot more history? That's a great point because, see, an organization like Gannett, where I'm extremely proud to be a small part of, the journey to healthy chaos comes from a state of a lot of stability and vision and purpose and a hundred-year-old legacy. And the reason why we believe in this state of healthy chaos and disruption and speed now is because we are trying to transform ourselves to address a fundamentally different business model, right? It's an evolution from a legacy media business driven by traffic to now becoming a customer-obsessed organization driven by user value and not just eyeballs and impressions. So that shift is coming from a very different starting point, but arriving at that need for healthy chaos. And as a matter of fact, we are manufacturing healthy chaos because we feel that's the only way we are going to move forward. Whereas in an organization like a Freshly or a Spotify, which have grown in this native digital world, and they have grown from zero to one and one to n, I think the healthy chaos is from the other extreme. You start with unhealthy chaos and a lot of cluster. And then you realize you have to step back because now you've grown to a few hundred people, a few thousand people, and it can't be uncontrollable chaos anymore. Because when you're a startup of five to 10 people, uncontrollable chaos is a recipe for success. You know, you're not going by swim lanes. You're wearing multiple hats. You can talk to every single individual. When you become a billion dollar plus in revenue, you know, or half a billion in revenue and a few hundred people, then you now need to start to bring a little bit of the freedom within the framework but it can't be all freedom. I think what you're saying, I want to just make sure I understand, you know, when you talk about this healthy chaos, healthy is about having some stability, some structure that you're that you're resting on that gives you the freedom to be chaotic. And in longstanding organizations, they tend to be heavier on the side of stability with less chaos, less innovation. And on the other side, the the startups that you've that you've been fortunate to work with they're great on on make it up as you go, color outside the lines, but often need help creating that kind of stability and security that, as you pointed out, give people the confidence that the company's going to be here tomorrow, even if I make a mistake or miss a number. That's spot on. In fact, uh, way more eloquently put together. And it's the oxymoron of a healthy chaos and, and the two extremes coming together. It's a really interesting concept, and I'm excited to be talking about culture, because I think certainly in the world of subscriptions, a lot of organizations underestimate the importance of having the right culture for subscriptions, and more specifically for building long-term relationships with customers. I'd love to hear your thoughts on what, in terms of that culture that you've described, is especially important uh, or relevant for businesses building a long-term relationship as compared to a more transactional kind of business model? Yes, I think I, I could not agree more that if there was a time where culture could eat strategy for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, it is now because it is so true and absolutely relevant, direct correlation to where the company, where what happens. Two parts of the culture, which I think are very, very important, Robbie. One is 
the belief system and the values you bring as an organization um, that keeps you on track towards your end goal, your purpose, and your mission as an organization. And I say why that is so important is because we are living in a customer-led ecosystem. Yes, it is digitally native, but we have never been customer-led where that customer has infinite choice, infinite access, um, and which means that in order for brands and businesses, and whether you are in a subscription business model or otherwise, for you to earn the right to win that customer, you have to fight hard every single time. You have to drive incremental value to bring that person back one more time and one more time, which is the, the genesis of a subscription mindset. You cannot do that until you are customer obsessed. You cannot do that until you are absolutely focused on your purpose and mission. Because today's customer, because of that choice, is so conscientious, they can see through the facade and they will leave you until you are absolutely authentic to who you truly are and your why behind the what you sell and you produce. So that's more on the foundational level that you can't fake your purpose. You can't fake a promise anymore. You can perhaps to bring somebody into your ecosystem once, but in order for you to really earn the lifetime value, to really earn the relationship and the loyalty, you have to be there every single time and to keep raising the bar every single time. How would you describe that promise? What is the promise that you make at Gannett? Or if you want to share the, the promises you, you made at the other organizations where you've worked? Yes. Yeah, so for example, you know, when I was at Freshly, our core promise, you know, within that category had been the three core pillars of healthy, tasty, and convenient food. And um, we felt that what made us unique was if you looked at the ecosystem, there were a lot of great solutions that were solving for two of those three pillars. If you were healthy and tasty, you were not convenient. If you were convenient and tasty, you weren't healthy. You know, if you order uh, through many of the meal services, you know, in some of those meal services, the highest grossing restaurant uh, could be a fast food, um, you know, QSR, which we all know is not the most healthy place. So our value proposition was always the intersection of healthy, tasty, convenient, convenient being accessible, affordable, and so on. And we knew that the only way for us to drive sustainable growth was not only increase volume and uh, and reducing our CAC or improving retention, but it was always staying true to that purpose and the mission. We had to make sure that we were constantly innovating and investing in the quality of the food, in standing up behind what we felt uh, was going to be healthy for each and you know every individual. And that was a journey. So it's not like we cracked it open and we solved it all, but there was a conscious investment we had to make, which is where based on the culture and based on the belief system, you make choices on where you want to invest. When you're extremely transactional, you're purely focused on short-term KPIs and short-term goals. You're living quarter over quarter. Inevitably, you make short-term choices for long-term losses or for at the cost of long-term promise or your long-term mission. Whereas sustainable growth companies somehow figure out a way to overcome short-term hits because they want to stay true to their long-term promise and the long-term purpose and mission. And that correlates directly to that mindset of being a day one company, the mindset of being customer obsessed, because you are not just looking at the quarterly KPIs or the OKRs, you are committed to adding incremental value to your audience, even before giving them what they need sometimes, even before they've asked for it. It's so interesting. And what you said about that balance between, you know, those quarterly numbers 
and the long-term health of the business. I hope everybody listening really takes that to heart, that that is often a trade-off, that when it comes up as a trade-off, that you have to make the right choice. And it sounds like that was a priority at Freshly. I know from talking to, to people in the past at Spotify that, you know, especially in the early days, there was a real emphasis on building long-term relationships, even if they were free, because of, of that long-term commitment. Do you want to share a little bit more about how you do that? How do you balance short-term versus long-term and kind of keep the faith that it's worth it if you happen to, to not hit your quarterly number? Yes. It's very hard, Robbie. So I don't want to be here, sitting here and say, that's the right thing to do and every business should do it. And what makes it harder is if you're a public organization. It's a benefit if you're private, if it's a huge benefit if you're a startup because you have the runway. But I'll give an example of, I feel very proud of this journey at Gannett where we are trying to transform like we've said before, some iconic brands and legacy, uh, a legacy business with an incredible mission and purpose. And we have committed ourselves to, especially last year, that we are going to evolve into a customer-obsessed organization. We had publicly shared our five North Star priorities, which is a part of our transformation. And the, North, the, the number one of those North Star priorities was an intent to become customer-obsessed and a subscription-driven organization, no longer solely reliant on advertising revenue. That's huge. That is huge. It's not an, it's easy to put it on a piece of paper and on a deck, but it's a fundamentally different mindset, culture. It's a fundamentally different definition of success. It pivots you 180 degrees on everything you do. And we are committed to it. You know, we've had, uh, we've had to make some tough choices. As an example, three months back, we launched USA Today as a subscription business model. We had not done that for 40 years. For four decades, USA Today had been a free platform yeah. for the globe. But we realized that while we will stay true to our purpose, so there is a certain type of content which will always be free because we have to fulfill our mission. But at the same time, honest, authentic, and unbiased, high-quality premium journalism needs a very different business model. And we believe that as long as we hold ourselves accountable to add incremental value to our customer, they're ready to pay for it. And we are seeing that results. Now, there's no question that we have a lot of headwinds and will be a lot more curveballs thrown away. But there's no question that we're going to stay true to that mission and the commitment because we know the end goal is raising the value and evolving this into a customer-led subscription model. So that's a huge change for, I mean, you know, many of us are, are you know, first got to know USA Today on the doorstep of our hotel room as a, a free paper how are you handling that transformation? I mean, one of, the, one of the big challenges that I see with a lot of organizations that have been around a long time, especially news organizations, is consumers have expectations. They've been receiving this brand in a certain way for a really long time. And advertisers, too, have been used to, to working with this brand in a certain way for a really long time. So how are you managing this transformation to being, as you said, subscription first? It's a journey to, to begin with. It's not a flip of a switch where we went from a completely free product to an entirely behind a paywall or a premium product. So we've, we've applied a lot of lessons, Robbie, that we've learned through rest of the Gannett ecosystem, which is a portfolio of 250 local brands that went subscription-led uh, a few years back. So we've learned a lot through that ecosystem, which is now being applied to our most iconic 
national and global brand, which is USA Today. So, but first of all, it's a journey and we've taken incremental steps. We've applied a lot of lessons learned that many other product and SaaS and subscription companies do. We are testing and learning. We are relying a lot on our research, talking to a lot of customers, call and quant, and doing a number of experiments. Through our data, we now understand what are the type of content that our existing USA Today readers are ready to pay for. Because one thing when I was coming into the category as a newbie, I realized is, yes, there was a period when we all were consuming news on social platforms like Facebook and others. But one thing if I've learned in the last three or four years is, is there's a blessing in disguise there that that access to free news comes at a cost of authenticity and reliability, that there is a significant TAM in the world that is ready to pay for high quality premium journalism. There is no question about it. TAM being total available market? Total addressable slash available market, yes. So the size of the market across the globe within the United States is still substantial because people have seen what happens when you rely on inauthentic, invalidated content and news. It leads to a lot of chaos. It leads to a lot of mess at a national level, at a global level. So it gives us an opportunity, in fact, I would say a responsibility to make that evolution and raise the bar in terms of the value we take back. A couple of the key points that you bring up that I really want to highlight, one of them is all of the experimentation you're doing, both the experimentation you did with your with your smaller brands to build the, the subscription muscle, to build the, the understanding of, of how subscriptions work and to build the confidence that it could work, and then the continued experimentation and market research that you're doing as you transform the iconic brand to be more subscription first or or more obsessed. I think you've said that more obsessed with user value and not just traffic. So I think those are those are some some really important points. One question I wanted to ask you, you know, I think you've been at Gannett for about two years leading this this transformation. What about the team? I mean, I, I think a theme that you know I'm interested in, you know, as we're going through our conversation, is is really culture and people. What kind of team do you need in order to build this kind of model and to support subscription based growth? I, I know you have a team with you know growth strategists, brand and performance marketers, data scientists, product managers. What advice do you have, and how do you think about the right team for this kind of business model and this kind of customer-obsessed approach? I'm a big fan of thinking about people and teams because I think every outcome is eventually a function of the talent and the leaders you bring on board. But equally important is how you organize and how you operate because your end user experience at the end of the day is a reflection of your organizational model. So the two ways I would love to address that, Robbie. One is the way I think about growth is actually three flywheels which are overlapping, and they are growing the brand, growing the user base, and growing the user value. And I think sustain, I believe sustainable growth is not a choice between growing the brand or growing the user base. Of course, in a lot of early stage companies, there's always a choice between let's put 100 out of the $100 in acquisition. Let's invest everything in product and we ignore the value of building a strong, authentic, purpose-driven brand. In the early stages from zero to one, it absolutely works. But investing in the brand is the flywheel of creating new demand. It is the process where you soften the ground 
to within that total addressable market uh, to bring in growth segments that don't believe in you yet. Perhaps they don't even believe in the category. Maybe they don't understand it yet. They are not going to come to you just because you have a product that works great for their core audience. They won't come to you because you threw an offer. So it's very important that when we think about outcomes, we do invest and believe in the outcome of the brand because it helps you expand your addressable market to soften it so that you can actually pull those users in when you saturate your existing market and your existing TAM. So with that in mind, the way I think about the organizational structure is first and foremost that sustainable growth happens at the intersection of marketing, product, content, data, and science. There are many variations of growth models and organizational structures. You can make a growth team sit anywhere you want. There are companies, especially on the West Coast in Silicon Valley, where growth teams are standalone teams. There are organizations where growth reports into product and mostly direct-to-consumer businesses. There are growth teams that report into marketing because marketing is not just accountable for brand, but they're accountable for numbers and AOEs and LTVs and so on. Regardless of where you make a growth team sit, at the end, the growth team still is a function of analysts, data scientists, product managers, people who are building products, marketeers who are thinking about taking it to market, content writers. But if you're in content business, that also becomes your core product. So no matter how you organize, the only way you're successful is when you create an operating model where all these functions come together and they have a shared outcome, you know, can be OKRs or any other template, and they work together to solve that problem. And in our case, we brought on some lessons that I had learned back in my day at Spotify. So we brought on the concept of squads and tribes and chapters. We've adopted OKRs across the organization, for example. But in very simply, a squad or a pod is a small unit, an autonomous unit with a mix of engineers, data scientists, product managers, marketeers, copywriters with a shared outcome and a shared objectives. Right. So it's a cross-functional unit. While in the evening, they may belong to a tribe, a tribe of engineers, a tribe of uh, data analysts, a tribe of marketeers. But during the day, they all have a common set of objectives and KRs. And that is what they are coming together to address because the customer experience or the key customer experience happens at that intersection. So the operating model has to enable that partnership, that collaboration. The operating model has to break down the traditional silos where the product is working on a product idea and they throw it over the fence to marketing once it's baked in to say, now go market it or do a campaign, right? We all know that it doesn't work, but guess what? Eight out of 10 times, that is still the model that happens where we are operating in those buckets and silos. I really appreciate the specificity about, you know, how you describe the by day and by night, by, you're part of this tribe, you know, I'm a marketer or I'm a product manager, but I'm my my allegiance is to this squad and to our shared our shared metrics, our shared OKRs. And I think it is easier said than done because it it is a different way of of structuring the organization. And it's it's especially important. And now I'm putting my own perspective, and you can disagree if you want. I, I would I would welcome your your feedback. <laughs> but you know, when you're when you're thinking about a member journey, that is, you know, in your case, your your readers, your audience. It's very hard to break it down and say the marketing part happens here and the product part happens there. It's all happening at the same time. And everybody has to be thinking 
about the whole experience because I worked with one company many, many years ago in the media space. And the general manager said, you know, the acquisition team was doing a phenomenal job because people were signing up and the retention team was doing a terrible job because people were leaving. But the offer that the acquisition team was presenting was come get this one piece of content. Right. Right. And so it just emphasizes, and I think how important this concept of, I think you call them pods or squads, is to achieving shared goals. That single-handedly, Robbie, is one of the quintessential needs for growth companies is to have the concept of shared outcomes and shared objectives. Because I've seen so many growth companies in the early stages, because it's growth at all costs, where exactly that use case where you bring scaled acquisition, but retention struggles, and the retention person is pointing the fingers at the acquisition team, saying that you brought on users at very high discounts, so they're low-quality users. They're just coming for the value of the discount, not the value of the product. And then within the acquisition team, you could have pieces of the funnel that are owned by the product team. So the acquisition person is saying, well, wait, hold on. The CPM, the, the, you know, the, the CPL, cost per lead, and cost per checkout page, for example, that's the last step. That's all brilliant. But we, I have a massive drop-off on the checkout page. I have a massive drop-off on onboarding. So it is your problem. And there's so many teams that still struggle with that. And that is why I feel you maximize the outcome when we align people with different skill sets, with different functional allegiance, but align them towards the same definition of success and the same outcomes and the same objectives. Are the squads or tribes divided by those three parts of the growth flywheel? Or does each squad or pod have responsibility for, for all three? Some, some metrics around brand, some around user base, and then some around, around increasing value? Great question. I, and that's, there's no single answer. I think we all would create our own definition of abstraction, how big you want the pot to be. And there's some guidelines and best practices that I've learned. You don't want the pot to be a unit of 20 teams because it becomes too big. You also don't want to be too narrow because then you'll have new fragments. So in our case, for instance, we have an acquisition pod, but because we also have multiple products, we just launched a Sports Plus product for our six local markets. So that in itself is a, pro is a pod because... The customer or the audience is so unique and different. We are now diversifying ah. and expanding much younger. So the needs are very different. The content curation process is very different. The KPIs and the onboarding and the experience of the product itself feels very dramatically different. It's a lot more leaning on our younger audience and the younger demographic compared to USA Today for a very different reason. It's a whole functional pod that actually includes both acquisition and retention because it's in early stages. As we scale it, we are likely going to separate apart acquisition so that that part can diversify channels, can diversify the audience segmentation, whereas retention will have its own set of challenges at scale. So it all depends on the, the diversity, the challenge of what you're trying to solve. And based on that, you determine, is that one pod or multiple pods? Ah, and the one small thing, Robbie, if I can add to your first question, because I think it's very relevant, especially to Gannett, in terms of the team structure, but also the talent. And that's been a huge focus area for us this year, because we've been firm believers that if we have to transform ourselves from a 100-year-old iconic brand to a disruptor, 
we can't just do it organically because we don't have the time frame. So we brought on some incredible leaders who have disrupted different categories who are coming with no baggage and challenging the status quo. And they are coming in on day one telling us what needs to be done. So we brought on people from the likes of Spotify, from Peacock at NBC, from Aura, from Oli, from all kinds of different either subscription businesses, non-news content businesses from fintech. And, and they're coming in and they're looking at the model and they're really helping us transform and, and gain speed. I love that. I think you and I share this point of view that bringing people from different industries is tremendously valuable. It brings new ideas, new perspective, but also deep expertise in the core skill areas for you know a subscription or, or customer-centric business. Absolutely. We're coming up to the end of our time, and I'm wondering if you're okay with doing a speed round. Sure, let's do it. What's the first subscription you ever had? It was Spotify. What is your favorite way to consume news? The truth. <laughs> we love the truth. I still consume a lot of news on an Indian app called Times of India. I grew up there. And my second favorite way is USA Today. Print, digital, combination? Oh, it's, it's, all, it's all digital unless I'm visiting my dad in India because there I love to read the newspaper. But when I'm here in my house, I'm, it's all digital. Your favorite freshly meal? Used to be the buffalo chicken. I haven't had that in a while, but that was my favorite freshly meal. <laughs> Biggest tip for building sustainable growth, whether or not you're interested in subscriptions? Believe in speed over perfection. Be customer obsessed and break down the organizational silos. Awesome. And then finally, other than the organizations where you've worked, what is your favorite subscription that you use today? Hands down, Netflix. I'm a movie and a TV buff, and um, I just I just love it. I can't tell you how many hours I spend in a week uh, in front of uh, my Netflix <laughs> subscription account. Well, we share that. <laughs> um, <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you very much for, for all of the insights. Appreciate your, your time and your thoughtful comments and uh, looking forward to talking again very soon. Thank you, Robbie. Thanks for having me over. That was Gannett USA Today Network's Mayur Gupta. For more about Mayur and Gannett, go to gannett.com. And for more about subscription stories, as well as a transcript of my conversation with Mayur, go to robbiekelmanbaxter.com slash podcast. Also, if you like what you heard, please go over to Apple Podcasts or Apple iTunes and leave a review. Mention Mayur and this episode if you especially enjoyed it. We read all the reviews because we want your feedback. Thanks for your support. And thanks for listening to Subscription Stories.